it's just pitch black now. I was walking and my, with my dog and all of a sudden I heard this loud crash and I didn't see anything, but there was either a homeless person or somebody just kind of like breaking stuff at the park. And I'd walked right into it because I just was in my own head and not paying attention. Now, you know, do I need to carry a gun for that? No, but I need to be prepared. Get ready to tune into stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Scott again. I'm so glad you're here with us. I have with me Jeff Forrester. Jeff is a father and a husband and just a cool dude I met recently. He has a book called Unleash Potential that we're going to chat about, among other things. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. I feel like there's just going to always be a challenge when the conversation is going to be epic. How's that sound? I think it sounds great, and it's a, a true testament to life, and we've already experienced right. that life will throw you a curveball when you least expect it or want it. I think we're going to talk a lot about that today. Yeah. Um, you know, we we have a lot of things in common, and you're, you're a passionate man. We were introduced by someone we both mutually know, and um, I think you were just going, getting ready for the hurricane there in Florida. How did that go? How'd you fare? Well, for here at the house, it was fine. We just had wind and rain. I'm in Orlando. There were other parts of Orlando that didn't fare so well. There was a lot mm -hmm. of flooding, and there's still some um, residual flooding that exists in the city. Nothing nothing like the center of the state had, like um, Arcadia had tremendous flooding. The river just poured over its banks. And then, of course, the Fort Myers area was just completely devastated. Yeah. And I just saw that even though the Sanibel Causeway was completely gone and destroyed during the hurricane, two weeks later, it's it's built and back open. Holy cow. That's yeah. amazing. The, the the I saw some videos and pictures. I don't pay a ton of attention to media, so it's kind of hard to – it's pretty much Facebook people that share with me. And it was there was some insane wreckage going on, massive wreckage. It yeah, was crazy. it's been a long time since Florida's had something like that. I, I just saw an email come through that the estimated insurance damage was almost $5 billion. Oh, my gosh. So how did you prepare for something like that? I mean, let us we're all men. We ought to know, like, what guys do when it's time for, you know, something to happen <laughs> like that. What's a, So I'm a, a fifth-generation Floridian, but I've grown up in the center of the state. So we've been very fortunate to where we prepare – and then it never mm. happens. So a lot of times the joke, the, the Florida joke is that we get all prepared and then you have driveway barbecues because you've bought all this food and you've made all this preparation. But you have to prepare because of situations just like what happened in southwest Florida. It's happened all over Florida. It's happened in the Carolinas. So the big thing is not much different from what a lot of these um, guys like at Field uh what is it? Fieldcraft survival and some of these yep. other ones that just talk about being prepared and it's having enough water. So making sure you have enough water for your family, that you've got food. So in the event that power goes out, that you have the ability to to eat and feed your family um, and then um, have some way to potentially cook. So you always have propane, extra propane on hand, um, plenty of batteries, flashlights. And what's what's interesting is a lot of times at least floridians they don't check all that stuff but once a year right and that's when the hurricane's coming so 
case in point, I have a generator for the house just to keep the freezer and the fridge going. And I try to check it every six months, if not sooner. So of course I checked it before everything was fine. I check it Monday storms coming Wednesday. Wouldn't start. Wow. <laughs> so there was a big shout out to the, the local ACE hardware. They were able to get it in, check it out, do a little tune up, cleaned up the carburetor and I had it back Tuesday afternoon. Wow. Wow. That's crazy that they were willing to do that, able to do that. So yeah, because a couple other places, they were not, they were like, we're three weeks out, but yeah, if everything goes south, then we'll fix it and get it to you first. But, um, it was, it's a, it's a testament also, I think for men, not just from a hurricane, but just, we've got to be prepared and you can't wait until you know, something's coming because that's when everybody else floods in to try to get ready for the same thing. And now you're battling over a limited amount of supplies. So if you just gradually get things throughout the year that you know will carry you through, that'll just help. And it's the same way emotionally for hurricanes, whatever is it's constantly staying prepared to make sure you have everything together. I've struggled with that. Like I've, I've, I've always wanted to be that guy that was fully prepared. I've always like, um, been intrigued and, and understand a hundred percent why it's necessary and what, why, you know, but then I'm like, well, I really don't want to spend the money on that now. I don't need, I mean, I, I need to reserve it for X, Y, and Z. And it's really kind of a poor mindset. What kind of things do you do to be prepared outside of hurricane? Do you have other things that, you know, you've mentioned fieldcraft survival. So obviously you're, you're kind of tapped into some of these, some of these things. You don't have to give us your secrets, but what kind of things? I don't have any secrets. It's stuff that I've just learned from listening to all these different folks. I tell you yeah. where I first really became more aware of it. I don't know. Did you ever read um, Living with a Seal by Jesse no. Itzler? No. Great book. I highly encourage everybody to read it. So Jesse Itzler, he's self-made on his own. Um, but one, one way that most people can at least know who he is, is he's the husband of uh, Sarah Blakely, who invented Spanx. So oh, yeah. everybody right. has heard of Spanx. Right. But anyways, so he loves to push the boundary and he's got a, uh, a company called Build Your Life Resume. So he hired David Goggins to live with him for 30 days. That sucks. Yeah. And this was Goggins before everybody knew who Goggins was. Right. He had just right. heard about this crazy former SEAL that ran this 100 miles without training and, and did all these things. So he paid him to come live with him for 30 days. And Goggins, his specific uh, pointer was, well, whatever I tell you to do, you have to do it. And when I tell you to do it. So I'm not going to go through the whole book. But one of the things that he highlighted in the book is how unprepared most people are. Hmm. So at the time, they were living in New York. So he's like, okay, what happens if there's a disaster and all the bridges close between Manhattan and the rest of the mainland? He's like, uh, I don't know. He's like, you can't get a helicopter. You can't drive a car. What are you going to do? So he trained him on having a raft in his apartment that he wow. could get his family out. And they went through this whole process. But that's to me, that was a little extreme. Fortunately, in Florida, I'm not I'm not landlocked, but I'm also not on an island. But it made me think of. Do I have fire extinguishers upstairs that my kids could potentially use if they need to at least make an entry to get out of the house and not have to jump out the window. So it was little things like that, that I try to, I try to make it my own because I, you know, again, 
I could be scripted and go through what a lot of these guys that I follow on social media that they talk about doing. Um, but to me, I, I'm like you, it gets to the point where it's like, it's overwhelming. And then yeah. can I even live? And what could I put in my garage if my whole garage is like a bunker now? Um, so I try to do things like that, that just would keep my family safe in a short term emergency, so to speak. That makes sense. That makes sense. But, I, I had a good friend. Um, he's since passed away, but I had a good friend who sent me a spreadsheet that JP Spears. I don't know if you guys know JP. He's a comedian turned kind of like political satirist, but um, of his survival like guide, and it was a spreadsheet. And he literally had like an extra car. I think it was a Forerunner. So he's like, okay, I can drive over on anything. It's it's you know off road capable. And then he had a trailer that he could hook up and then the entire list of everything in the trailer, I mean, firearms, um, food, provisions, diaper, I mean, the whole, it was insane. And I looked at that. I'm like, Kim, my wife, I need to go buy a trailer. This is midst of, uh, you know, COVID and shutdowns. You don't know what the heck is going on. And, and I was like, the last thing I want to be is that guy that didn't prepare for anything. And, um, you know, all this extra gas and everything. Well, I'd made the mistake before of storing gas, and that gas goes bad. <laughs> you can't yeah. store gas. Uh, I found that out the hard way when my everything stopped working when I used that gas. But uh, it was oh, it was really really overwhelming for me. It, it just it was it was re, it was it was crazy. I was like uh, I don't even know where to start, and I don't have fifty thousand dollars to go buy a trailer and all the things he's talking about. So that was kind of my short term for for Ray into it. Cause my wife was all about. It. She's like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm yeah. like, well, hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, well, it's like not only where to start, but where to stop. Yeah. Like at right. what point can you, do you just have to continue to go on and on and make sure you have this and make sure you have that? Because it, it can be paralyzing to think about that. And, and maybe that's where I fall short is because that does overwhelm me. And yeah. so I sit there and go, well, then I'm just going to do the bare minimum. And I don't know if that's right either. So I've done a lot of scenarios in my head, like what if, like the what if scenario, okay, um, it, yes, I have firearms, and yes, I'm trained how to use them, and so is my family. I'm, that's just how I, you know, I'm, they're, they're locked away, super safe, um, a lot of training, so check. Ammo, that was, that was a big difficulty for a while. Um, working, you have to work on that over time, right? And so I think of all these strategies and all these things, and I'm like, I just don't want to shoot anybody. I just literally, that would be the most horrific thing ever. I mean, I think in the, if someone were breaking your house and were threatening you, your instincts would take over, but it still freaks me out. Like, I'm like, I hope, I hope that never, ever, ever happens. I hope there's never a war that my boys have to fight in. That's just su such atrocious, horrible stuff. But I am prepared in that way. I grew up, uh, with guns, but the, it's, a, it's the gasoline and all those things. And it does, it just gets overwhelming, but I don't want to be that guy either way. So there, the, I'm having this conversation in my head. Well, when is it crazy? <laughs> like I'm so, so focused on this. It's crazy. And when is it like reasonable? And, and how do you like, like I, I was talking to a guy um, that's in the group and he's like, well, I have a spot in my property where I have money and I have guns and it's all buried and it's my go. Everybody knows that if something happens, we all meet there, we dig it up and we're out. I'm like, wow, like I'm a long ways from that. 
of course I live in suburbia, Texas, which is, you know, their houses are on top of each other. So that doesn't help either. Yeah, in Florida, we can't bear anything because four feet down we hit water. So <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd have to move. So literally for me, I know this is probably, this is so off topic, but it's kind of fun to talk about for yeah. me. It's like, I know where I'm going to drive and I know how I'm going to get there. And I know how, you know, like I have these plans, like, okay, if everything, everything goes crazy, I have friends that I know are stocked up would that I could help support and they could help support me. I just need to get there. And they're in that place in the, in the country that I f- would feel good about. But anyway, <laughs> what a rabbit hole we went down. No, no, when you were talking, the only thing I could think of was the movie tremors. Did you see tremors? Oh, a long time ago. Long With, time ago. Um, the dad from family ties. I can't remember the actor's name and Reba McIntyre and they were preppers and they had this house. The cinder block house was the, the place everybody knew they could go to because of the weapons. So we everybody makes fun of the people that seem crazy until something happens and then right. you go i want to go to their house right so i yeah. think the testament to what you were saying to bring it back i think that's relatable to everybody is it's preparedness keeps you calm in an emergency because people are going to look to you especially as the father yeah. is you can control the chaos even though you might be freaking out and crying in a corner on the inside, you have to come across as stable and confident and calm. And that can control the environment regardless Mm -hmm. of what's going to happen next. It's like, look, we've got some crazy stuff going on. So we've got a bag, we've got some food and we've got some water. We're good. And because our kids are going to look to us, our our spouses are going to look to us. Our neighbors are going to look to us because if you come across as a confident, educated, um, informed individual, people will come to you. And so right. you've got to be ready for that because that can create stress as well because it's like, well, everybody's coming to me for the answer. And that's where at least being prepared, like I have a bag. I've got a bag that's got magazines ready to go. I know where my ammo's at. So if I need to put that in this bag to go, I'll unlock everything. I've got which weapons would go to which child and and my spouse, what would go in a bag. And then I've got some, you know, and again, I'm not a prepper, but I do have, because of we, we live in a hurricane area, I've got, you know, food, food storage um, items like camping stuff. So it's not like yeah. you have to be extreme. You just have some of those camping meals that aren't that bad, actually, no. yeah. that you just add hot water to. So there's things that you can do that, you, at least to me, doesn't make us extremists. It just makes us prepared and informed. And like you said, if I can get enough to get us out, then we'll do pretty well. So if, like for a hurricane, they talk about us have enough for 72 hours because more than likely you'll either be able to get away, get out or everything will come back on because mm-hmm. at least we're in a pretty good area. Now there's some areas that would go longer, but at least three days help will get to you within three days, most likely. So to me, that was a good, when I heard the 72 hour mark, that lessened everything being overwhelmed. Um, and then I have 15 gallons of gas because I need to be able to run the generator. So that would get me through three days, most likely of running the refrigerator. Yeah. The key with the gas is have a timeline when you're going to go just pour that into your car or whatever and use it yep. and refill so that yeah. you're keeping it fresh. Um, the last, the reason I had gas, this is kind of a funny story, is uh, was the last time that 
Houston, I think it was like four years ago, was the big hurricane was coming on there. And I went and got gas and I bought like five containers, five, five gallon, the bigger containers is that five gallon, whatever, whatever it is, um, containers and filled them up. So I bought them, filled them up and put them in my shed because I know a bunch of people down there and they were really concerned about gas. I'm like, the least I can do is throw it in the back of my truck and drive down there. Well, it didn't happen. They didn't need it, but I was stuck with this gas and now my lawnmower won't work because I use old crappy gas. <laughs> That's an all gotta- free. Yes. That's an all free. I know. Um, is the other key. <laughs> $400 a gallon, whatever it is. But yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. It's cheaper to have someone else mow my lawn at this point. But I really like, I really like to teach and talk about, you know, I, I'm not like super prepped. I'm prepped. I'm not super prepped. And I really like the, like the moderation, like what you're talking about, the camping meals and those things, because um, it's really easy to keep that stuff kind of just in a bin ready to go. It's not, it doesn't have to be crazy, but like for me, and I've told this story a few times, two circumstances happened in the last couple of years. One, I was in Costa Rica with my wife and we did a tour. It was private for us. So it was snorkeling and deep sea fishing. And we go out and we realized that Nicaragua is like right over there. We're really on the northwest side of Costa Rica and Nicaragua uh, Americans are at risk for being, you know, taken and held ransom for money. Well, here comes this tour boat and it's just a normal boat <laughs> and it's not like fancy. And these two locals jump off and we're like, okay. And we get out and they just start, keep going and they keep going towards Nicaragua. We're close. And in my head, so instead of like, you know, just kind of enjoying, I, I took about five minutes and I went through, okay. If they keep going towards Nicaragua, if they pull up, how is my response going to be? What am I going to do? And how can I keep my wife calm? So I think for men, it's incredibly important. I kind of always be having that, like, I don't know, is a code orange or whatever, where you're really just paying attention to everything going on and playing out a scenario in your head so that if something does happen, you're not in panic mode because you're going, you are responsible for your wife, your kids, those around you to staying calm so that they stay calm. And that's really, so that was one circumstance where I really started to kind of think through, okay. And I went through all sorts of scenarios in my head and it was actually pretty invigorating because then they turned, they said, Oh, this was the best place to fish. And they moved back. (laughs) Um, And then the next one was I was at church and this guy really interesting. And I, I've talked about this on one podcast you may have heard already, but um, he's walking down the aisle at this church and he's got a like satchel bag on. And I'm like, and he's acting funny and he's really looking around and church is going. I'm like, okay, I, this would be horrible if it was an active shooter situation. Like this would be bad. So I went through like, where am I going to put, what am I going to do with my kids and family? Where, where am I going to move? And I re pre-planned in my head, what am I going to do? Because when you're faced in that scenario, you know, most people just hide. But um, I had to go through that in my head. Turns out he was a photographer. And, um, he, he was a photographer of the church and doing photos, but he just had everything in his bag and it wasn't a camera bag. So it was really awkward. But uh, those two circumstances made me very, very aware that we as men have to be mentally, emotionally, and physically prepared for anything at any time. Cause I would have never guessed either of those scenarios to happen. They didn't, but you know, it, it did kind of give me a red flag. Have you ever had a situation like that where you're like, Oh, this could be bad. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think a lot of it's just kind of based on what you see or hear in the news. I don't watch the news or anything. I don't anymore. either. It's just useless. Yeah. But 
you know, hearing of things like when you go to a movie theater, I immediately look and see where's the exit. Is that the only exit behind me? Um, at church, it, um, the, the church that we used to go to, I would sit up because the entrance came from behind me. So if somebody came in, they would have to come in by me. And then if I had to shoot, I'd be shooting down. Cause that's the other thing is like, okay, if there's an active shooter and you draw, you better know you're going to hit that person because you could easily miss because your adrenaline's running and you could, you could kill somebody else. And I'm like you, I do not want to do that No, because the aftermath, I know my brain, I would never be able to, to push that out of my brain. I just have yeah. no idea. So it's the absolute last resort. I just try to think through situations like that. Or if you're in a crowd, what do you do? And, and when we first, um, took the class to get our concealed weapons license. The officer talked about group tactics when there's, you're in a multiple person situation. And I'm first, I'm not an expert. I'm just sharing what I know. So mm -hmm. If you get comments like he doesn't know what he's talking about, I probably <laughs> don't. But what they talked about is if it's you and my wife, and if it's me and my wife and two kids and you're together and somebody comes and draws on you to take your wallet, he's like, the first thing you have to do is start to separate Get, get the attacker to watch you so your family and your kids could move because they can't keep eyes on both of you. And not that you're going to draw on them or do anything. You just want to create separation because they're probably looking to you for the wallet, the keys, whatever it may be. And so thinking about that was helpful. So that's always stayed in my head of, okay, if something's going to happen, I want it to happen to me. So if I can draw their attention enough to let them run away, so be it. That's my duty. That's my job as a, as a dad and a husband to, to protect my family. So I always run scenarios like that through my head. Well, I wouldn't say always, but I try to be aware that in the event something happens, it's like parking lots, making sure you look around your car before you get out or before you get in to see if somebody's, you know, eyeball on the car, um, try your best. We're all guilty of it. If you're walking through a parking lot or walking down a sidewalk, don't be on your phone. Keep your yeah. head up, your eyes up, looking around because it immediately tells everybody's like, this person's not paying attention. I can either run up and steal their phone. I can punch them and then steal their wallet. I can get their keys and their car as soon as they open the door. So there's all these different scenarios that if your head's just up and your eyes are looking around, you're not the easy target. You still may be a target, but they're going to go for somebody who's completely oblivious to everything around them than you. So those are things that I think about just as I'm as a everyday dad um, when I go through my daily activities. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such a good conversation because I think a lot of people don't do it or they they, they kind of are off and on. And then we have this phenomenon of, you know, the phone and we can become so blind um, you know, if an email for work comes through and I happen to catch it and look at it and then it's like tunnel vision and you forget everything that's going around. The other morning I was on a walk and it's gotten really dark in the mornings here. So I have a, my morning routine and it's just pitch black now. Um, I was walking and my, with my dog and I wasn't aware. And all of a sudden I heard this loud crash and I didn't see anything, but there was either a homeless person or somebody just kind of like breaking stuff at the park and I'd walked right into it because I just was in my own head and not paying attention. 
Now, you know, do I need to carry a gun for that? No, but I need to be prepared. Like I, I need to be prepared. My dog was with me. It startled my dog, which was really interesting. Um, and so what did I do? I went and bought a little tiny high power flashlight that I can always take with me so I can see better in those really dark situations. I'm not going to run around with it, but if I hear something, I could identify and be prepared. It's just things like that. Like, and, and just don't be stupid. <laughs> don't be, <laughs> don't be, don't get into your phone tunnel vision. And especially when you're with your family, guys, just like put it away. It's just not worth it. So, um, and, and Scott, while you're on that one, somebody shared something one time with me. And so I, it's resonated forever. We're not that important that we need our phone with us 24 right. hours a day, seven days a week. If you're a doctor and you're on call, sure. But I'm not a doctor and I'm not on call. So whatever's coming through can wait the hour. I don't yeah. think it can, but it can. Nobody's going to freak out or, or lose a limb if something, if I'm not right there connected to my phone. My, my <clears throat> personal operating procedure for this as much as I can is if I'm with my wife and kids or just my wife, my wife wants that, that if we're not with our kids, she wants that notification that the kids are sure. okay. Like I, they can get a hold of me for me. What I do is I hand her my, my phone, put this in your purse. So it's available, but I, it's not the focus and it's not going to buzz me and distract me. And I do that on dates, but I also do that with family because it's so easy to get that. And you, you guys all know, as soon as an email comes through, your brain switches from I'm enjoying my family to now I'm incredibly stressed, client canceled, or, you know, you messed something up at work or you, you lost money or whatever it is. Those can totally steal your joy in the moment. And it's not important in that moment, unless, like you said, like you're a doctor or surgeon or something crazy like that. But man, even then you've got to have a time to unplug, but you're right. Nothing on that phone is more important than your family. Nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. growing up, <clears throat> I'll be 50 in February. And growing up, we, we didn't have any of that stuff. We didn't have to worry about it. And we were all okay. I remember my first job, I would have to stop and check my voicemail on a payphone. Mm -hmm. And I managed to get through the day just fine <laughs> with no problem. You know, and the expectation was check your email in the morning, check your email at night check your voicemail three times a day. We're all good. And yep. now it's like, we have to have everything right now. He didn't respond to me within 10 minutes. You roll your eyes. You're like, I can't believe it. He never responds. And I'm guilty of saying that all the time. And I also feel, well, my advantage is I can respond quickly. Well, I'm, I'm tearing boundaries down to everybody around me that yeah. Jeff is 100% available all the time, no matter what. That's something I had to learn. I had a, a mentor teach me. He's like, hey, if you don't answer, you're training them that you're not going to – like if you answer every time, you're training them that you're always available. If you don't – and he, this was in customer service. He said the beauty of this is if you don't, by the time you get back to them, typically they'll have their problem solved. Most people can solve their problems really fast when they don't have help. And he's like, just don't train them that you're at the drop of the hat. And that was one of the best pieces of advice I got because I went from that critical mission, critical every minute, like something came up, I'd answer him immediately. I prided myself on that too. Wow. If I don't answer this for 20 minutes, an hour or whatever, 90% of the time they have already figured out a solution and, and written back, Hey, I got it figured out. <laughs> And that probably would go with your kids. Your kids could stand to do some problem solving as well. 
I was thinking the same thing when you were talking is that I'm, we're all guilty of it. It's easier to do it yourself than to teach them how to do it. It yeah. doesn't do anybody any good. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So, uh, we have a lot of things in common. I'm 49 as well. Um, <laughs> I really like, you said you're, you're 49, right? You're yep, turning 50 yep. in, in February. So February, you're a few yeah. older than me, but, um, you know, we do see, I think we do see the world a little differently than, than say a 30 year old, because we did used to, I mean, that was the, there's memes out there and how, how we found where our friends were pile of bikes in front of a house that you'd literally look for the pile of bikes and walk up to the house and knock on the door. And you came home before dark or whatever that, and, and there was no check-in. I mean, I would spend hours out in the country in the, in the Creek pretending I was Indiana Jones and, you know, probably could have died 18 times. But my mom didn't know <laughs> I survived, probably got stronger because of it. So, and she was way less stressed than we are nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I imagine I can think of some of the jumps I did on my BMX bike without a helmet, <laughs> you know, all the crazy stuff. I'm yeah. sure you kind of lived a similar life. Um, we, we would be, we would be, um, if we did the things the way our parents do them now, we would be called in for child services, neglect oh. or whatever. Well, Cause you'll drive by somebody and they don't have their kids strapped in the back seat. And your immediate thought is like, Oh my goodness, that kid's not in their seatbelt. I slept in the back window yeah. on the interstate on the way to North Carolina multiple times. Right. Or bounced around in the back of my dad's cargo van that had no seats at all. Exactly. There were two seats and no seatbelts. He cut the seatbelts out because they were annoying. <laughs> <laughs> my wife has a story that her family drove her to Alaska, her and her brother. So they had an old pickup truck and they put a piece of plywood on top of the bed and then a canopy on it on top of that. And so all the gear was underneath her, her one-year-old brother and her being like four or five we're on top of that piece of plywood in the back of the truck. I'm like, so if that came undone, you guys were gone. Like all the way to Alaska from Oregon. And it, the roads were gravel roads at that time. And I'm like, man, have time changed. <laughs> it's so crazy. But, it is. And it's just like our perspective and our um, perception. The, the, it's like those two things have, it's been for the worse. Yeah, because we're we're cautious. Yes. And it's important because we we want to protect our kids and protect each other. At what cost, though? I mean, we're just now it's like you can't skin your knee, you can't skin your elbow. Um, you know, there's all these different things that, that we do to try to just create the bubble boy and create a bubble around everybody. And yeah. it does. It doesn't do anybody any good. John Eldridge and Wild at Heart. I don't know if you've read that book. Of course I have. Yes. Fantastic. Yep. I didn't want to assume, but it talks about it's scientific. If you eat dirt as a kid, you're going to be healthier as you get older. You've got to be out in the elements and dig around and flail around and do those things that our kids don't do. They right. sit inside constantly because they're sucked in and mine are the same way. They get sucked into YouTube. They get sucked into Xbox, which, you know, it's, it's good to an extent because it's a great release, but when they don't want to go outside because of it, or you can see that they go, they ask, can I go home? And then you'll say, okay. And then as soon as they walk in the door, they go right to Xbox. They go right yeah. to something else. And to me, it's like when you take that away, we did this experiment one time and the kids, this was probably five years ago. We bet them each a hundred bucks. They couldn't go a month without 
iPads, phones, YouTube, anything. And they're like, okay, this was in January. And they both did it. <clears throat> they built more Legos. They drew more. They were perfectly fine. The first couple of days were bad. It's like when we try to cut out sugar or cut yep. out carbs. The first few days are brutal. But then after that, they, they realize all the toys that are pouring out of every closet that they have things to do. They have enjoyment that they can have. And if you just take some of those things away, and it's hard as a parent because they cry, they complain, <clears throat> but we also know that we have to be mindful of what they do. I'm in a, a Wednesday night men's group, and one of the guys was talking about a situation that he had with um, his daughter and Snapchat. And oh. so one of the other dads commented, he's like, when would you ever sacrifice their happiness for their safety? Always. <clears throat> if it's safety first and they're not going to be happy about it, it's like, sorry. You don't even have to say sorry. It's like, this is the way it is. I'm, 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 my task in life is to protect you. Yeah. And I know that this doesn't make sense now and it may never make sense, but this is the way it's going to be. And we, me included, I'm not pointing fingers. We forget about the safety task and assignment that we've been given first and foremost, where we just want to make everybody happy. We want to make our kids happy. We want to make our wife happy. We want to make each other happy, but at what cost? Yeah. It, and there's this fine line because you're talking about like, you know, predators, behavior opportunities, a, a lot of very inappropriate stuff on apps and phones. And, and my son uh, was on the PlayStation and like within hours, there was like $400 pulled out of my account because someone hacked in while he's playing all these things, right? Like all these things are happening. And yet we go outside and, and we're like, don't get up. Don't, don't do that. And, and, and here we are, we're subjecting them to these really actually evil things where we, we need to get them outside and let them be subjected to like, Oh, if I do that stupid thing, this is what happens. Jordan Peter says, let them play dangerously. What is it? Dangerous carefully. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a great saying because there's just such a protective thing. I was just talking to a guy in my Wednesday night group. Um, guys, by the way, if you're not in like a group of men that meets regularly, that holds you accountable, that you get to be honest with, like join one, we're going to be putting one together. But like, besides what I'm doing, like, if you don't have it, find a group of men <clears> to do that. It's incredible. One of the guys in my group was like, we're really restricting use of the games and the phone and the iPad. And he's having a really hard time because his nine-year-old son is like, dad, like he's just having, uh, like making it hell for them. He's like, I, as a child, have the worst life possible. You are making my life, like he's attacking him directly because of, and we all know that's not true. But it's hard as a parent to hear that. It's incredibly hard to hear that. Well, especially when you hear how society has these ex kids now are having these extreme reactions to discipline and to taking things away to the point where you sit and, and you're worried for their physical safety. Are they going to stomp up to their room and do something incredibly dangerous that is not reversible? That I get scared about that a lot mm -hmm. because you just see these extreme reactions in the high schools, in the middle schools, in the elementary schools, that none of our kids are safe from that attack, from that perspective. And my son and I, he's 14, and we 
I really try to shoot him straight and try to make, and I, I think it, hearing how you parent, it's very similar. <clears throat> so we, we use screen time on our phones all the time. Mm -hmm. And he had a limit <clears throat> where we had a discussion about TikTok. I'm not a fan of it, but it's there. We've got a, I figured this is a good way to teach him. So he turned 14. So we let him have it. So um, we had screen time. So then he's like, dad, can you please turn off screen time? So we do screen time and downtime. So I had a conversation with him. I was like, okay, I can turn because it blocks it at the end of screen time. Right. And I was like, I can turn that off. This is going to be a lesson in self-discipline because I go, buddy, if you can learn this at 14 and perfect this now, you will blow everybody out of the water as you progress as an adult. So I turned it off and I could monitor his screen time. So I would see be an hour, hour 15. Well, then it started creeping up and it got to the, like the two hour marks a day. Um, and so I blocked it again. He got Living, I said, like, well, buddy, we had this agreement. We had a, a calm conversation. This is the way it's going to be. If I see it creeping up, I'm going to turn it back on. Well, then he's like, well, all I'm doing is going to YouTube and watching YouTube now. And I was like, okay, you're completely missing the point. I also have to remind myself he's 14. A lot of this stuff isn't just natural. Right. So I go, okay, so you defeated, you're not hearing what I'm having to say. So now I've got to put that on there. It's a control over, you need to control yourself over the phone. And if you can do that, I'm willing to turn it back off. And so I've noticed, like yesterday, I had sent him something because I try to send him positive TikToks to make sure, because um, I'm rarely on there, but if I see something, I'll send it. And then I said, well, did you send that? Or did you see that? He's like, no, I ran out of time, screen time. But he hadn't requested any more from me. Mm -hmm. So he's learning that, that self-governing ability because he threw it back on me. He goes, dad, I've seen you ignore it on yours because I have screen time on mine, but it doesn't block me because I, because I don't need a password. I know the password. And he threw it back in my face. And so I couldn't say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm also on there trying to build a brand. I'm not just aimlessly scrolling, but he still saw that. And that was very powerful for me because he's had comments like that before. So dads, listen to what your kids tell you because they see all your blind spots, yeah, all of them. And he called me out on it. So I'm very aware also now of when I hit the ignore or 15 more minutes or an extra hour or ignore it for the day. Um, so I just say all that and I, I might have gotten on a, a tangent, but it's it's setting limits and boundaries, just like what we talked about before about with customer service and answering your emails is boundaries are healthy. Boundaries are good. And if, if we want to lead our families, we need to have a boundary and then live them and be the example for our kids to follow. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I'm very in line with that. And you, you brought up something, you know, you're trying to build a brand and, and that's the same thing with me. You're on, you're, you're getting on the socials. There's certain amounts of things you're supposed to do. You, you need to do and certain times to respond. You can systemize that. And it's so hard because then we're holding ourselves to the same, same, uh, you know, same parameters that we have our kids. But I think it's a really good practice. I think it's an incredibly good practice of discipline and you are modeling what you what you expect. It, I mean, it's, it, and your actions are going to always speak louder than your words, no matter, you know, I've heard that a million times, but it's true. If you're on the phone all the time, 
your your kids are going to be like, well, that's an okay behavior, and it's not. So um, I don't want to forget to talk about your book, Unleash Potential, because I think there's a lot of things here uh, to talk about. So tell me a little, give me a little synopsis on on this. So one, everybody needs to write a book. It's it's such a wonderful experience to do, and it's not hard. Trust me, if I can do it, anybody can. Uh, what you just have to make sure you get a good editor to clean it up. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted to write one. Imposter syndrome, like most of us have, I think all of us have, it just rears its head in different ways because I'm like, okay, I'm Jeff from Orlando. Who in the world wouldn't want to read a book that I wrote? Because I'm not a former athlete, not a former service, you know, SEAL, billionaire. What I'm just Jeff from Orlando. That's it. There's nothing yeah. super special. What it what writing a book does is it's your legacy. It's what you leave behind for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. And I was just, um, listening. Was I, who was I? I was reading a book. I can't remember who it was, but he writes not for himself or for his children. He writes for his great grandchildren and his great, great grandchildren, like three generations away because we're all one generation away from being completely forgotten. Yeah. I mean, it's just the reality. So writing the book was a, was a good, important event that I did because one living by example, this was during COVID the chair behind me, my son sat in on his iPad when he wasn't doing school and he solved the dedication of just sitting down and literally the way they broke it down was write 30 minutes a day, 300 words a day, and you could write a 25,000 word plus book in less than six months. Hmm. So it's not hard. Yeah. Um, and so the book came from, I love self-development. I love helping other people. And what I don't like are instruction manuals. I'm just not, I mean, most, I think most men, they'll buy a grill and have to put it together. And the next thing you know, they'll go, I can figure that out. That goes right. here, that goes there. And then you got a bag of screws left at the end. <laughs> Right. That's kind of how I operate. And so I had read all these books, some of them instruction manuals, and I'm like, but that's not me. That's not how I operate. So I would have to modify it to work, which is fine. So I did not want to write an instruction manual on how to unleash your potential. But over my years of being in leadership and helping, you know, my direct reports and others accomplish more, I started to see a trend of certain areas, not only in their career and lives, but more specifically in my life, my personal life, and then my career life of what held me back from living up to my potential. And so in the book, I focus on four key areas. And a lot of these are things that run through your podcast and through your brotherhood of fatherhood. So it's not going to be foreign to everybody. It's the first thing is communication. So it's internal and external communication. So what do you say in between your ears And then more importantly, what comes out of your mouth? So you can reinforce or you can break a mental pattern in your head by the words that you say out loud. Um, So recently I was feeling down about um, my career choice as of late. And I realized I stopped believing. I stopped believing I could do it. And I realized in my head I was perpetuating an unbelief in my own self-talk. So then to break that, I had to start saying it out loud that I believe. So something that simple really helps. The, the second thing is knowing your strengths and weaknesses. 
So in our society, we love to talk about strengths. Focus on your strengths, do those. Well, we do those because they come easy, but we all know that growth comes when you get uncomfortable and that's going to where your weaknesses are. And I'm not saying focus on your weaknesses, but your weakness will cap your potential 100% of the time. I've never seen it not do that, personally, professionally, whatever. Um, the next thing is community, self-development. So like you talked about is we can't delegate our own self-development. And so often we try to pass our promotion, pass our development on. Well, they didn't help me. They didn't give me the opportunity. Dude, there's so much free stuff out there. There is zero excuse for no one to not even know how to build a rocket. I mean, right. it's there. The other element is not just that, but it's who you surround yourself with. Are they, are they holding you back like the crab in the bucket story or are they pushing you forward? Are they a little bit better, little further along, little more motivated than you that makes you step your game up, game up. And then the other element is having a confidant. And, you know, as a husband, one of the things that I held back was not being completely open with my wife. I was holding things back from like childhood and beyond. And so it came to a, a precipice about five years ago. And I just sat down and just did a verbal vomit of everything. It was scary as all get out, but I didn't have a choice. I just, I had to, it was got, got to the point where I couldn't run from it anymore. And she looked at me, Scott, and just like, I'm still here. Yeah. And some of it wasn't easy to hear. I know it wasn't easy to hear, but she just said, I'm still here. And it was the, the I mean, the best thing that anybody could have ever said to me in my life, because I lived with this fear that if I tell people what's really in here, that they were going to run screaming and think I'm a weirdo. I would lie to therapists because I didn't want to completely open up. And I got to the point I did. And that was such a relief and a pivotal point in my life is to open up like that. And then the last thing is setting a proper course. Um, and that's really just making sure you have a good plan, a good scoreboard to that. Um, I learned a valuable lesson in goal setting and planning from the book, Four Disciplines of Execution. Fantastic book because it breaks it down in a really good, manageable way that linked up in my brain. So all these, these four areas, I just try to share stories in the book of how I've used those, either where that's held me back or where it's propelled me forward. Um, because I've had... Again, not any different than everybody else. I've had ups and downs. I grew up a fat kid. When I graduated um, high school, I was 270 pounds. And you, you, but I lost the weight for the wrong reasons. I lost the weight to be accepted, to not be the fat kid anymore. I lost the weight to hopefully get a girlfriend and some of these elements. And now I look back, it was the self-talk. I was telling myself, well, if you lose weight, they're going to like you. Well, they didn't like me because I didn't like me. And mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, I've always been a nice guy and I've always had friends, but it's that element of deep relationships until you get that taken care of inside. It's going to be a long journey. And it took me a long time to get there. And here I am almost 50. And it's been a wonderful five years of self-learning and revealing. And, and I know we've had other conversations, but for every struggle, I realize that it's God peeling more of me away and revealing more of him. And mm. he's, I mean, he's tearing it. I'm holding on to it, but he is ripping it off. And some of it hurts really, really bad. 
but on the other side, I see, you know, new skin, you know, new, fresh everything, which is just, it's been fantastic. So hopefully the book will help someone else. Yeah. Um, find some of those areas that they need to dig into and, and step up. This is definitely, uh, things I all, I can get behind every single one, like really deeply. And I, I don't think enough people take time to really identify those things and then take action on them. So that sounds phenomenal. I know that, um, you know, my inner con, my inner conversations have been an issue for years, years. And now it's like this, it's like on automatic mode and it's horrible. And I've, I've had to develop really, really strong patterns. Of, oh, someone's at the door, uh, just to work through like stopping those patterns and, and stopping that, those, those mindset errors that are years and years and years long. And until you have tools, until you have areas where you actually dive into and you can put a, a finger on it and pinpoint those problems, you're going to continue to repeat them. And so it's so incredibly important to read stuff like that. So you can get a diet, get a, get a diet, self-diagnosis. I love that you shared about, you know, just sharing some things with your wife. That was a big theme that kind of happened at the, uh, the big event, our first event and men went away. One man for sure, uh, because they were able to share things with men other men that they really never thought they'd share with anybody. But those men then said, by the way, you need to now go tell your wife. And that was like, you know, can you imagine like you're, you just released this stuff that you think everyone's going to hate you for. And maybe it's something you've done. That's really bad. And now these guys are saying, go tell your wife. Well, guess what? The, this individual took that advice, went home, told his wife, of course, there was some extreme awesomeness that happened from that. And then extreme, uh, other way, like a lot of conflict and a lot of things, but then it's basically just completely solidified their marriage. Like they are on the up. They're just like on this amazing trajectory now because they worked through it. And I tell people like there was times when my, I thought I shared some stuff with my thought wife and I thought I'd broken our marriage, literally thought I had broken our marriage. And, um, what happened, what happened at that point was, uh, everything just got better and it wasn't breaking the marriage. It was, uh, setting the stage for it to grow even more. So those things are so incredibly important. I'm glad you talk about those in there. Yeah. And it's weird. The person that we're not supposed to be weirded out the most about we're weird to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. one of the things that I did years ago is I had a friend challenge me is when's the last time you prayed with your wife? Like, what do you mean pray with my wife? Like literally sit just with her and pray with her or pray over her and for her. Mm -hmm. like, Never. At the time we've been married a long time and it freaked me out. And I remember the first time we did it, did it in bed. The lights were off. We were getting ready to go to bed and I was so nervous. And I'm like, I pray all the time. What? And I right. prayed out loud, but it was a weird a weird phenomenon to do that. And, but it was so cool. I mean, right. it was, it was such a great experience that it brought us closer and it created more intimacy because it was that like, I'm, I'm telling God how much I appreciate her and she gets to hear it. Um, and guys, a lot of times don't like to do, 
eye-to-eye contact conversation or side-to-side conversation. That's why it sounds like the event that you did was so good because people can talk. You could sit around a fire. You can stare into the fire and not at each other. Right. So it's yeah. like you're, you're confessing into the fire, but you're getting it out. And so it was one of those things where it started there. And it's still, if we were to look eye-to-eye, it would still be kind of weird. I'm just yeah. being completely transparent, um, but it's, we owe it to them because they want it. They want that part of us that we just normally don't give them. And I, I tell, I've said this over and over and over again, for us, we're a little more sexually motivated. We have that sexual intimacy guys in general, but man, when you open up that emotional intimacy and prayer with your wife is one way um, opening up about things you know, that deep that hurt you or that you feel like hurt other people. Those are, those are literally feeding that emotional um, intimacy that she's wanting. And this is generalization, but I've seen it over and over again. So when you step into that emotional intimacy, guys, things get better in your sexual intimacy is, is the experience I've had. And I've talked to many, many men, it's the same thing. And it's, it's, you've got to make deposits. Like, and that's a deposit and that's a deposit that will actually fill your, your needs too. You, you think, oh, I just need to get laid and then I'm good. I'll be great. But really there's, there is a need for this emotional intimacy that goes beyond just the daily work, um, business style conversation about kids and everything. And, and so that's really good advice. If you are a believer, if you pray, if you, whatever, my wife and I pray together in bed at night and yeah, it takes, it took some practice. And it slips pretty fast where we don't do it. And then we go back into it and it's an, it's incredible practice. And, you know, maybe if you're not a praying man, you just say, Hey, to your wife, let's, let's, let's talk about really what's deep inside, what our needs, what our desires, what our um, worries are. And let's release those together, which it basically is praying, but you know, <laughs> I guess I'm manipulating you into praying, but <laughs> that's not really the, the point. The point is to, to take that emotional step into that uh, direction of just to have a much better relationship. I've been married 26 years. I don't know about you. How long 16. have you been married? 16. 16. You got, you got like 40 years of experience here. So if I did my math, right. This is yeah. Almost fair. 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Close so, enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Where is is your book on Amazon? It is. It's on Amazon. It's really anywhere you buy books online. I mean, that's okay. where you can get the best deal. Amazon Prime, um, or if they want to, they can reach out to you or to me, and I can send them a signed copy as well. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so we'll have those links and all that stuff in the show notes. It it's been a this has been a fun conversation. I love. I really it. I've been looking it. forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. And uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this thing up? No, this was awesome. I love what you're doing. I love the idea of a brotherhood of fatherhood. We've men need stuff like this all the time. You know, our Wednesday night group is called the Sons of Thunder. Oh, we cool. just come together, and um, it, it's nothing more than just. Sometimes we study the Bible. Sometimes we just share what's going on. And yeah don't do life alone. It's just the lone wolf is a lie. And the cowboy riding to the sunset by himself is a lie. Um, So just we're stronger in numbers and um, just find people, talk to people and hang out with guys like you, Scott. That's right. That's right. Hey guys, thank you very much for listening. If you've gotten this far, 
there's several things you need to do. One is kind of join the Facebook group. Now, I did get an email from a gentleman. He's like, I listened to all your episodes. I am not on social media. He found me on email, scott at brotherhoodfatherhood.com. And he's probably having more conversations with me than most men do. So he's got, it's a great path. If you want to connect and you're not in social media, shoot me an email. But you definitely want to be on our email list, which we don't spam out. I think I've sent one email to the entire group over the last two and a half years. But uh, we are going to be doing some like inner circle things. And because I, I know how incredibly important it is. And also our events coming up. Uh, literally, if I took all the verbal agreements at this point, we're t- double sold out. So we, uh, you want to be on that email list. So you can grab a spot when the time is right. Again, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, The Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from The Brotherhood of Fatherhood.